Good morning. How are you doing? Man, this is bigger than the last service. I think they're the spiritual ones. They came early for Jesus. No, no I'm messing with you. I'm excited to be here with you uh, again. As I shared in the first service, I thought I would bring a little bit of Texas with me. So if you're feeling the heat, we feel this every week in Houston. So I just thought you'd like to see what it's like to be where I'm from. But I, I, I'm so glad to be here with you guys. I'm always excited to come and fellowship. You guys are always so warm and friendly. You ever been to churches where people are just cold and ugly? You ever had that happen? I mean, I have. I've been to some places and, you know, it looks like a church, but it's not really a church. I mean, you guys are you're good people, so you're cool with me. We, we're all right. So I, I'm glad to be here with you this morning, and I pray that as we walk through God's Word together this morning that there are some things that He can unfold to you about maybe some areas of conflict, maybe with some people at a church, or maybe in your home, or wherever it may be, that God will open your heart. So let's pray together and see how the Lord will guide us through His Word this morning. Father, we again thank you for the privilege of air condition. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the privilege of this local assembly. We thank you for the fine pastor and elders and leaders of this church. Lord, we thank you for the people that you've allowed to assemble and be connected together here to bring the greatest glory to you and the biggest edification to one another and to transform the communities abroad in this area. I thank you, Lord, and ask your forgiveness of every thought, every word, every act, every deed that has not been acceptable to you. And Lord, we pray that you will cleanse us, as 1 John 1 9 says, if we confess, Lord, that you are faithful and just to cleanse us. And so, Father, open our hearts. We want to hear you, and we want to understand from your word what we are to do with what we hear. And Lord, as you open us up to see, we'll be careful to give you the glory. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. The story is told of these two men who were having a battle. They were fighting each other and they both were great shooters. And because they were great shooters, they recognized that if they really go on the battle toe-to-toe, that they end up killing each other. So they decided, hey, look, you know, we, we both are pretty good at what we do, and we could probably kill each other in this battle. So I'll tell you what. Why don't we draw straws? And the person that draws the shortest straw, that person will just take their own lives. The guy said, okay, I'm down with that. We can do that. So one guy pulls a short straw, and he goes back into the room, And so they all wait to hear that gunshot go off. And so they hear a pow. So everybody walks in the room, and he's standing there with the gun in his hand. He says, you know, funny thing happened. I missed. (laughs) (laughs) And when I thought about that, I said, that makes sense. When it comes to conflict, we tend to miss in dealing with our own issues. But man, when it's time to pull the trigger at someone else... We are very precise when it comes to shooting other people in conflict. And boy, do we have some bullets. We have bullets of discouragement. We have bullets of ugliness and slander. And we have all these things in our hearts when it comes to other people. And why do you suppose that conflict exists at any level? And what I want us to do today is I want us to do biblical picture, if you will, of understanding why conflict happens. But then bigger than that, I want you to understand why there's conflict in your life. Because I know, I know, and don't look at the person next to you. That person next to you is a real son of a gun, aren't they? 
and you were just excited because you said, if they could just hear what is about to be said, then my life is going to be so much better. Okay? Now, turn to the person. Tell them this. He's talking to you. He's not talking to me this morning. All right? So, everything that's about to be said is not for the person next to you. It's for who? You. Okay? I'm going to tell you a quick story. It has nothing to do with what we're talking about, but I just have to tell it because I just want to tell you. All right? This man is preaching at this church. He's preaching hard, preaching hard, preaching. I mean, just really preaching, going to town, preaching, and just going at it. And this woman comes up to him and says, boy, you sure got him this morning, Pastor. You got him. And he said to himself, well, I was talking to you. So he said, maybe she didn't get the message straight. So then he preached a little bit harder, and then he looked dead at her and said, you need to repent. Kind of like what I just did with this woman here. I don't mean that. I don't know you, so I'm just. <laughs> you may say yes, but no, really, I, I'm, just, I'm just playing. So he looks dead in her face. You need to repent. You need to repent. She comes back and says, boy, if they didn't hear that this morning, I don't know what. So finally, one Sunday morning, no one's in the church except for her. And he says, boy, I got her. I got her now. So he starts rolling in and preaching. And at the end of the sermon, she said, boy, they missed a good one this morning, didn't they? (laughs) Now, the moral of the story is, don't you be that person this morning, all right? This is for who again? For you. I want us to take a moment and try to, if we can, define conflict, okay? Because you can't really teach what you don't have a definitive term for, and it makes it confusing. So let's look at your notes together, and I want us to look together and have a working definition. So when we talk about conflict and how to resolve it, this is what we're talking about. Definition of conflict, state of war, individual disputes or battles between people, watch this, which manifests itself in what areas? Attitudes, words, and then what? Before the conflict starts in action, it's already in your mind. Before the words come out towards the person, it's been stirring in your heart. Conflict is a matter of attitude that starts to manifest itself into words and actions with others. And the question that we want to put on the table today is, why in the world we who belong to Jesus Christ, we who have the same power that raised Christ from the dead, we who have been delivered from the penalty of sin, the power of sin, and soon the presence of sin, we who have been delivered unto a new and right relationship with God the Father, that we may know him, become like him, be useful to him, anticipate his return, we who have been born again, why in the world are we fighting? What the heck is going on with us? As Rodney King said, why can't we all just get along as he was getting beaten ahead? I'm sorry, bad pastor. Uh, But why can't we get along? What's the big deal? What are we fussing and fighting about? And I want to propose to you that it's not complicated. It's not deep. It's a simple reality that we all need to evaluate within ourselves. Now, as we turn to James, I want you to turn to James chapter 3, verse 13. And as we unfold this, let me just share this with you. Conflict exists for a simple reason. We all have our own selfish ambition. I want what I want when I want it, and when I don't get what I want when I want it, you're going to pay 
And because I think I'm right and you're wrong, we're going to keep going round and round and round until you understand that what I want is more important than life itself. Conflict exists because you and I have our own ambitions. And watch this. What we want most of the time isn't bad. We just want it more than we want to love God and love others. Can I tell you this? For those that are married, you don't have marital problems. You have character deficiencies that show up in the marriage. And God is using conflict as a means to expose your character to make changes. Can I talk to the single folk for a moment? You keep trying to find the right one instead of just being the one that God called you to be. And you keep trying to find a lover instead of being a brother. And when you stop trying to be a lover and start being a brother and sister, you'll be amazed at what God can do to build relationships that can transform, and you might end up being married. When you start investing and trying to see what you can gain and start giving of yourself as God called you to, you'll be amazed at the changes. But you keep going to different guys and girls, but you've got the same agenda, and it's the wrong agenda with these people. You keep thinking, one day I'm going to find the right one. No, you got to be the one. And the conflict arises because your agenda keeps overriding God's agenda. And I want us to look at this closely. Turn to James if you're there already. Verse 13, he says, who among you is wise and understanding? And all of us raise our hand and go, yeah, that's me. I'm wise. I'm understanding. He sets us up. This is a setup question. Then he says, let him show by his good behavior, his deeds, and the gentleness of wisdom. Hmm. Verse 14, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but it's earthly, natural, demonic. Verse 16, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there is disorder in what? When there is disorder in your life. There is evil in your heart, which means your agenda has become more important than God's will. Conflict happens over and over and over again because we've taken 2 Corinthians chapter 5, which says Christ died that those who live might no longer live for themselves. We put a little twist on that. Christ died so that I can keep living for me but have fire insurance with him. We've taken the message of salvation as Christians. We've taken our deliverance, and instead of developing in a progressive sanctification with God, we're developing in our selfish ambitions and trying to pimp God to give it to us. And we think if we just do good and be right, he'll give us what we want. If we can just get people on our side, we can finally have our way, and life will finally be as we want. And we set up these ideas that are basically a way of the evil one that looks like the way of light when it's really darkness. Conflict keeps happening, guys, within our churches, within our homes, organizations, because our agenda for life has become more important than God's will for our life. 
And I want to suggest to you, if you will, some of the things that we do because we're so selfishly ambitious that starts to build the conflict in any and every relationship in your life. And here's what I want to say to you guys. Problems exist not because of the people and circumstances, but because of our agenda with people and circumstances. Let me see if I can put it to you this way. When most people come to counseling, what are the two things they love to talk about? People and circumstances, right? When they're upset, what are they upset about? People and what do they want to change? People and what are they on medication for? People and, right? And I'm basically a good person. If you can just give me counsel on how to fix this person and circumstance, then my whole world will be okay because it's about changing everything else. And I believe I'm in bondage and I'm miserable and life can't work because these people and these circumstances are creating all of my problems. So I'm here for you to show me how to fix them. And God is saying, I'm using them to expose you. I want you to see where your heart is because the problem is bigger than the people and circumstances. I'm trying to change you. Wouldn't God be a cruel God if our sense of peace and stability was dependent upon people and circumstances? Now, how many of you know people are fickle? Now, let's get honest. How many of you know you're fickle? Right? So why would God put your sense of peace on the attitudes of other people. Your sense of peace was never contingent upon the change of people and circumstances. It's always contingent upon will you walk with him or will you walk in your own agenda? Conflict arises because we keep trying to live an order that's our own and not God's order. Let me suggest to you some ways that our selfish ambition leads us into trouble. Walk with me, if you will, in your notes. Number one says this, our selfish ambition can lead us to approach people in the wrong way, leading to conflict. There's conflict that exists between you and others because somewhere in the midst, your agenda got caught up in God's way. Let me give you some ways that we tend to approach people that's not His will for us. Here's the first one. Trying to arrange for our opinions to be agreed with or our preferences to be realized so we confront leading to conflict, focusing on being right instead of what's right leading to conflict. You know what it's like. You, you know you're the one that always thinks you're right. You know, now the person sitting next to you can't even look at you right now. They really want to. And they want to go, oh, he has just said exactly what I want to say. Keep talking, brother. Okay, I'm talking for you, all right? And, and, and here's the point. When you think you're right all the time and things have to go your way, you're not willing to listen to other people. It's all about driving you. And that's why the conflict keeps happening. Your ambition, I call it being strong and wrong. How many of you know strong and wrong people? I mean, they're real strong, but they're wrong at the same time. And watch this. When being right is more important than what's right, conflict is going to happen. And the danger of that is you're not listening out of love. You're listening to figure out how to win. Conflict happens in the church. It happens at home. happens in businesses. Why? Because my ambition is running higher than God's love. Let me give you a second suggestion what happens when selfish ambition gets to rolling in relationships. Presuming to know the other person's motives and actions leading to confrontation producing conflict. Does that ever happen to you? You're so smart, you know what they're thinking. 
and you're going to let them have it. Because before they open their mouths, you've already figured it out, and you're ready to let them have it. Because uh, wait, I know what you're going to say, so before you say it, let me just do blank. Really? So you're so smart that you override Corinthians that says no one knows the heart or the mind of man except the spirit that's within him. You're smarter than God. And when we approach people as if we know them and there's no room for change, then we will be walking in our own ambition. And guess what? Conflict is sure to follow. Let me give you a third example of what happens when selfish ambition runs amok. Uh, Pointing things out in others that irritate and anger us that we want them to confess and change for our comfort and benefit instead of leading people to see sins that God wants them to confess and change for his glory and their benefit. You know what that means? I'm not really seeking for you to please God. I just want you to please me. And so there are things about you that we need to discuss, not because God is offended, but because I'm offended. And you ever had those conversations? I'll never forget. I was teaching a class, and this woman came up to me and said, you know what, prof, I forgive you. You forgive me? Yes, I forgive you. Um, okay, how do I handle this one? Um, can you tell me what you forgive me for? Well, basically, I feel like you're not teaching this class in the way that it should be taught. So I forgive you. Um, okay, um, so if I get this correctly, there's a standard that you've set. And according to your standard, I'm not doing it your way. Well, yeah, so I forgive you. Well, see, here's the thing. God says that it's sin that is to be confessed, confronted, and forgiven, not personal preferences. Oh, so, so basically, ma'am, you are confronting me in your own arrogance of wanting to run this class, and guess who God led to run it right now? So if anything, you need to repent of your disrespect of this position. Can you imagine how silent it got? Kind of like how y'all looking at me right now. (laughs) We got to be careful of confronting people about our issues with them. We've got to make sure that that's God's issue with them. Because sometimes the things that we don't like about people are our little idiosyncrasies. Let me be honest. I don't like folk picking their noses. Now, can I be real with you? That, that, That really gets under my skin. I don't like it. However, I can't really say much because it's not a sin per se. Well, I guess it's not a sin, huh? I want it to be one so bad. But, but, but the point I'm making, I may have a problem with it, but guess what? If it ain't sin, I can't come and confront you because I don't like it. Selfish ambition leads us to deal with folk about things that irritate us. It's not a problem for God. And when you think you're right, you start approaching people about things. And I've heard people say, well, pastor, I'm offended by you. Okay, well, that's cool. Let's talk about it. Now, offense is a very big word. So let me ask you a question. When you say you're offended by me, have I sinned against you according to what the Bible says? Or have I disappointed some expectation you have of me as a pastor? Well, you haven't sinned, so there's some expectation you have. So let's talk about that because it may be something I can adjust to or it may be you've got the wrong church. 
because there's certain things about me personality-wise, because it's not a sin, it's probably not going to change, and you may not like that. This may not be the place for you. And you can see their eyes get this big because it's like, I love you. And I'll make the adjustments I need to make, but certain things I have to be careful of because before you know it, you'll want me to be a mini-me. And then if I don't do it the way you do it, the way you want, the way you like, then it doesn't work anymore. And before you know it, you just need to come up and preach because it's basically I'm being you. We have to be careful of confrontation because it bothers us. We need to make sure, is it an issue in the hand of God? And, and selfish ambition leads us to confront people because of our own stuff. Let me give you another example. Demanding that people please us instead of leading them to please God, leading to conflict. Oh, bless all. Bless us all. See, I, I have a small church so I can, I, I preach over that all the time. It's made me better over the years. So it's okay. It's our place. Okay, he's good. He's good. All right, works. Conflict, there you go. Somebody said it. I love it. When, when you pull all this together and you, and you think in terms of, am I seeking to lead people to please God? Or is it all about me? The last conflict you were in, be, be honest with yourself, be honest before God, it had nothing to do with Jesus. You wanted what you wanted. You wanted the person to either stop doing something or start doing something, and you didn't like it. And you felt the need to say what needed to be said because, let's face it, you deserve blank. And we live in a country that's so full of themselves. Everybody deserves everything, but no one is responsible for anything. And as Christians, we got to be careful that we don't allow the spirit of this age to consume us in our mentality. We are not consumers as Christians. We are worshipers of God. And we got to be careful of this idea that the world revolves around us. And when that mentality kicks in, you find that conflict keeps happening because you're not driven by the idea that God is on the throne. You're driven by the idea that the world should be pleasing me. And let's be honest. The last conflict you had, if you just get honest, whether it was in the church, whether it was at home, James chapter 3 hit you. You, you had an agenda, but your agenda was not to bring glory to God. Now, in the last service, I was singing a little country music, and I know black man country music doesn't seem to fit well, does it? <laughs> but I, I, I like Randy Travis a little bit, you know. Uh, I like a little old Mickey Gillis. Anybody here, any Mickey Gillis fans? Wow, I got one or two in the back. Wow. <laughs> now, Mickey Gillis way back had a song called Looking for What? Love. Don't act like you don't. I know you're in church, but you know that song. <laughs> Look, what is it? Looking for love in... See, I knew y'all knew that song. Don't sit here and act like, oh, come on now. All right, now. But what's interesting about that song, unfortunately, it describes too many people in the church. We keep looking for love instead of looking to love. 
And our ambition for what we want causes us to have so much conflict that we're not dealing with people where they are and loving them. We are trying to get them to be what we want to love us. And the problem is, Jesus didn't love us according to who we were. Jesus loved us according to who he was, and he told us to do the exact same thing with one another. Love as I have loved you. I didn't put anything on you. I didn't check you out and say, unless you do this, I will love you. Jesus said, I'm going to love you, and there's nothing you can do about it. I've made a decision to love you. But we're too busy because our ambitions keep us consumed with self. We keep trying to get from others instead of give them of ourselves, hence the conflict that happens. But what I want us to do is I want us to go a little bit deeper because these are some of the issues in our lives that selfish ambition brings. But I want to get to the source. Why, why do we keep fighting? Why is there such a rumbling in the jungle, a thriller in Manila, if you will? Why do we keep fighting each other in our homes, in our churches, on our jobs? Why is there so much conflict? As Rodney King would say, why can't we all just get along? Bam, bam, as he was getting hit. I'm sorry, that was bad, wasn't it? I'm sorry, I shouldn't do that. There's an answer to that question. I want you to turn to James chapter 4. And I want us to look together at verses 1 to 3. As God unfolds for us the real core as to why you and I fight, when we get down to the nitty-gritty of a root of what causes conflicts between us, in James chapter 4, verse 1, notice what he says. What is the source? What's the origin? What's the root of this quarrel, of the quarrels and conflicts? What's the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source, the origin, the root, your pleasures that wage war in your members. Verse 2 says, you lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You're envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Then verse 3 says, you ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. Now, James does a wonderful job here of exposing something to you and I. We fight, we clash because there are some desires in our hearts that have become more important than loving the other. These desires have become demands. And when they become demands, you believe is something you deserve. And when you make something the demand that you believe you deserve, the Bible says you've now made that a lust of the heart. And generally when we hear the word lust, we think sexual. But in the context of the passage, a lust is something that consumes your heart. You live for it. You want it. It is all that you want from people, places, and circumstances. And you don't realize it until you get angry or until you get worried. You show me a person that's angry or worried, I'll show you a lustful desire of their heart. There's something that they think they're going to lose or not gain, and they're consumed consumed with having it. And so when it comes to you and I, the reason we fight, there are some things that we hold too dear and we want them too bad. And we want them so much that we're willing to sin against the person we say we love to get them and to sin when we don't get them. Now, I'm going to tell you a true story. My father is no longer with me. Um, He was a professional carn artist. I kid you not. 
and we didn't have a relationship uh, growing up. He was out in the world doing all kinds of crazy stuff. But in seminary, he tried to reach out to me many, many years ago. And he said, well, son, I, I want to teach you something. I know you're in that seminary place, and, but I want to I share some real-world stuff with you. I'm like, yeah, okay. He said, son, I was a professional card artist, and I could con anybody out of anything at any time. He said, there are two realities that you need to understand about a con. Like, here's my father-son moment. My father teaching me about a con. How interesting is that? But what I learned, I want to share this with you. He said, son, two types of people you can con every time, the needy and the greedy. He says, if a person is needy, all I have to do is sell them a story. And if it fits what their need is, I can get them out of house and home and get anything I want because they're needy. He says, if they're greedy, I sell them a story that makes them think there's plenty more of what they're looking for. He says, but there's one person I could never con, and that's a content person. Do you understand that when you have a lustful desire, that makes you needy or greedy? And the devil understands how needy and greedy you can become. And the reason why things happen the way they happen for you so quickly when you say, oh, I'm going to live for Jesus now and I'm going to honor him. And the next thing you know, you're doing the thing you said you didn't want to do. It's because Satan understands there are some things in your heart that have become more important than loving God and loving others. That's what the source of the conflict is. There are some things in your soul, ladies and gentlemen, you want it and you want it bad. You say, oh, that's not me. Let me talk to your husband or your wife. And if they'd let me know the last time you were angry or worried or upset, I bet we'll discover there are many things in your heart that are more important than loving God and loving others. Let me talk to your pastor. Let me talk to your boss. Let me talk to your friends. Let me talk to people you work with. And I bet I will find that there are things that are more important to you than loving God and loving others. That, ladies and gentlemen, is what we call a lust of the heart. And you want it so bad that you're willing to sin to get it and sin when you don't get it. He says, what's the source of the quarrels and conflicts? Let me, let me see if I can flip it to you another way. Now, you guys see the ring on my finger, right? Yeah. Which means I am what? My wife is in Houston, right? Supposedly. I might need to check, but I think she's in Houston right now. Okay. Now, if you saw me talking to some PYT, what what does PYT stand for? See, I knew y'all knew what I was talking about. And I start seeming like I was really interested in this PYT, and then I go home to my wife and say, Honey, I just met a PYT in Cincinnati, around the Cincinnati area. And uh, you know what? I want to bring her home. And I need you to bless this thing, because I think this could be good for me. Now, I'm looking at the women in the room, and the women are like, this man has lost his mind, right? All the men are going, yeah, I mean, you know that. Now, imagine, now, I want you to think with me for a moment. I go to my wife and say to her, the woman I'm married to, the one I'm committed to, I want to bring someone else to the house because I just think it's a good idea, and I want her to bless it. Does that make sense to you? Neither does it make sense to God when we whore around in the world and bring it back to him and say, now bless me with it. When we make friends with this world to have our way and then come to God and say, Lord, give me this. 
God is saying, have you lost your mind? You are in a committed relationship with me, and you have chosen to whore out here, and you want me to bless it. And you keep praying, and you keep fighting other folk for it, and you expect that I'm going to bless this? The conflict that's happening in your life is an illumination of the condition of your heart. It's not about the people around you or the circumstances. God is trying to help you see you want something more than him, and he's jealous. And the conflict won't change until your heart is addressed. Let's explore this a little bit more, if we will. Look look with me at point number two. Conflict at its root can be traced back to unmet desires within our hearts that we turn into the lust of our hearts, demanding others to satisfy. Watch this. Desires from within wage war against our mind, our will, our affections. It's something that someone else has that you want. It's it's something that someone controls giving you. It's something you can't control getting on your own. And I want to suggest to you some of the things that you hold a little bit too dear. Some of the things in your heart that you didn't realize were important to you until you felt like you weren't going to get it or you felt like you were going to lose it. And I want you to see that the last time you were angry or worried, it probably revolved around some of these things. And let's give you some examples. Here's one example. To be in control. Now, as I said in first service, every time I put one of these little things on, I start thinking about Janet Jackson. You guys remember that song she came with she had? And, and, and I try not to go there, but in my mind I start hearing, control. You know? <laughs> and I want to break out in a dance, and then the, I, I fantasize the praise team going with me, but it's like they might lose a job if they, you know. If they, but again, I digress. I'm sorry. That's just some sick things that go on in my head sometimes. But, but, but the point is, we really like to be in charge. And the problem is, in order to be in charge, someone has to decide to let you. And when you worship control, when it's a lust of your heart, and you feel like you can get it or you're losing it, conflict happens. The problem is, you never had it. It's something that someone has to decide to give to you. But when it becomes a root of your heart that you must have, you are miserable trying to get what you can't have. Here's another one to be loved by others, to belong to others. Now, what's interesting, none of these things in and of themselves are bad. The problem is when you go from wanting something to living for something, now you went from worship of God and his will to worship of your own desires. And all that creates between you and other people is confusion, disorder, conflict. Here's some other examples of this, to be accepted, approved by others, valuable to others, to be understood, to be respected, to be served by others, to have personal preferences accommodated at all times, to be viewed as competent, to be held in high regard, to maintain a favorable position with others, to be satisfied by others, to be secure and safe with others. If you look at your life, the last fight you were in probably revolved around one of these things, if not many of these things. 
and you couldn't articulate what was going on. All you know is, I feel like I should have blank from blank. I feel like I'm losing blank from blank. And it really troubles me when you don't give me blank. And so we've got to go to counseling so we can get you fixed so I can finally get blank. Problem is, God is exposing the problem, and it's not the other person. He's showing you how your heart has went from being friendly with him to friendly with the world. Look with me at letter C. Your appetite for these desires leads you to be overly preoccupied with satisfying these desires. Your appetite with these desires leads you to sin, to satisfy these desires, and to sin when these desires are not satisfied, resulting in all types of conflict and self-serving prayers. Lusting leading to murder, envy leading to fighting and quarreling, and denial of prayer requests because they're rooted in selfishness. If you get honest right now, just with yourself, no one else, just you, and you really looked at your heart, you'll begin to see that all the conflicts that you keep having with people come back to your heart. Now, do I have any tea drinkers in the room? Any tea drinkers? Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Now, let's, let's talk tea drinkers. For those that don't drink tea, drink tea, okay? Now, watch this. When you put the tea bag in the water, Notice what happens to the tea bag when it's put in the water. The water brings out the flavor that's in the tea bag. Is that right? Now, the water doesn't determine the flavor in the tea bag. It just brings out what's already in the tea bag. Guess what, guys? The people and circumstances in your life are the water and you are the tea bag. They're not making you who you are. God is using them to bring out who you are. And you keep trying to fix the water, and God is trying to expose you to change. And the conflict is not really the problem. The conflict is exposing the issues of your heart that's causing the problem. And what I share with people in counseling is I could give you some tools to go back and try and practice. And they will work as long as everybody's getting what they want. But as soon as one person doesn't get what they want, these tools will stop working. And you'll come back to me and say, Pastor, I tried it and it's not working. What do you mean it's not working? Well, I tried what you told me to do and it's not working. Well, I'm confused. What do you mean it's not working? They're still doing blank or they stopped doing blank. Oh, so let me get this straight. You were only doing this to get what you wanted. Oh, I see. So you weren't obeying the scriptures that you may know him, become like him, be useful to him as you anticipate his return. You were trying to obey the scripture to get this person to do what, oh, well, you're right. It's not going to work. Because God's scripture is not for your personal little agendas. It's for you to be transformed into the perfect image of Jesus Christ. And to find the satisfaction and joy of his glory in your life. If you're trying to use it to fix people to give you what you want, you're going to be miserable. And then you're going to say, I can't trust God. And I'm going to say, you are so right. You can't trust God. (gasps) Yes, you can't. Because what you want God to do, he didn't promise. And he doesn't adjust to your agenda. You're to adjust to his. 
So no, you can't trust God. But you can trust God if you are willing to submit to what he says. Once life stops being about what you want from people and starts being about what God wants you to do for people, your life changes. I was teaching at a marriage conference. I called it the blessing of disappointed expectations. I said, how many of you are disappointed in your marriage? And everybody's hands went up. You know, some were surprised because they thought the marriage was going great. You know, (laughs) I said, oh, this is going to be a good one here. (laughs) So I get to talking and I said, well, okay. I said, there's a blessing in disappointed expectations. And they're looking at me and I, here's the, the short end of what I told them. If you look at scriptures, the problem is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says that Christ died that those who live might no longer live for themselves. So you keep living for you and you keep getting disappointed and you think the problem is everybody else. But God is trying to show you the reason there's problems is because you weren't designed to live for you. You were designed to live for him. And as soon as you come to the end of yourself and stop living for you and start living for him, you start getting everything you really wanted. Because what happens is the satisfaction you've been trying to get through this creation, God says, I am the bread of life. True nourishment of your soul is not going to come from people and circumstances hopping to what you want. True satisfaction of your soul will come as you submit yourself to him. He says, in thy right hand are pleasures and in thy presence is fullness of joy. And you will never be satisfied until you have surrender to our Lord God Almighty. And guess what? Then you learn to enjoy people and endure people and stop living for people to satisfy you. But see, that comes out of disappointment where you start to see life is no longer about you. You weren't delivered from sin to keep developing in your own agenda. You were delivered from sin to developing God's agenda. And conflict happens because God is exposing, here we go again. Here's another area of your life where it's about you. You want this to change? Stop living for you in this area. Stop worshiping this desire. I'm way more satisfying than that. But you'll never know until you give of yourself unto me. And as you do, you'll find satisfaction in me far more stabilizing in your life than these things. And then you can enjoy people and endure people and stop living for people to please you. This is God's design for us. So how do we move there? Let me do this quickly as I'm getting away from myself. See, I'm I'm not your pastor, so I can't take too long. You won't have me back. So (laughs) let, let me close this by getting to some solutions. Are you with me so far? How do we move beyond this to to solutions? Let's let's talk about that. Look with me at James chapter 4. And let's look at verse 4 to verse 10. And then we're going to summarize that in closing together. He says, you adulterers, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God? Or do you not think the scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires a spirit in which he has made to dwell in us, but he gives greater grace. Therefore, it says God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep and let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. 
Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. Here's the big picture. The, the text is simply saying this. If we're going to deal with sin properly, first we've got to deal with our hearts. The fact that we want something more than we should, and we want it bad, and we're willing to sin to get it and sin we don't get it. That shows that we're living by the agenda of the world, which means we're not being friendly with God. So if we really want to change in those areas, we've got to stop, drop, and roll. What does that mean in a biblical sense? We've got to stop trying to please ourselves, surrender ourselves to the Lord, and draw near to Him, and then as we do so, He'll draw near to us. And to draw near to God is obedience, which means we've got to put some stuff off and put some stuff on. We've got to move from sin to repenting of sin to remorsing over our sin to renewing our minds in God's word and beginning to put the right thing on. So when it comes to conflict, there has to be an awareness of my sin, an acknowledgement of my sin, and an action of change towards God and others. Now, how do we spend that together in a practical way? Let's walk through this together. Number three, as we close out, there are seven key steps to resolving conflict. Number one, examine yourself to see where you are being friendly with the world and walking in pride towards God and others and get the log out of your own eye. Questions you should ask. Are my words seasoned with grace or sin? Am I grumbling, complaining, slandering, or gossiping? Are my words negative, critical, hurtful, or destructive? Have I exaggerated the truth? Am I handling my responsibilities? Am I keeping my word? Am I respecting or rebelling against God-given authority? Would I want someone to treat me the way I'm treating this person? What desires am I preoccupied with, and what am I doing to satisfy them? Am I withholding love? See, before you even begin to address it, you've got to look at some things in your own heart. But once you see where you've sinned, secondly, free yourself, letter B, and resist the devil by confessing, repenting, remorsing, Replacing the sin through submission to God in what? Thoughts, desires, words, actions, relationship patterns. What does that mean practically? Talk with God about the specific sin and renounce it immediately. Admit to others how you have specifically sinned against them in attitude and or actions. Ask their forgiveness of your sin against them. Not I'm sorry or if I've done, but would you forgive me for blank I've sinned. See, that's true humility. Accept the consequences of your sin and make the necessary restitutions. Alter your attitudes and actions, relationship patterns, to line up with the standards of God. Once you've done all of that, now you're in a position where you can humbly go and talk to your brother. What does that look like practically? Show your brother his faults. Speak the truth in love. Serve your brother in his faults. Allow him or her time to respond. Rest and wait on God. You can't force people to see the truth. You can only present the truth and let God work on their hearts. Once you've done your part, you let God do his part. But also, as much as it depends on you, be at peace with that person. Don't get caught up in anything other than, let it be said, I did my part to try to make things right. When the issue has been worked out, don't bring it up. It's over. It's done. Don't do the Michael Jackson. Don't remember the time. Let let it go. Okay? It's done. Once you've forgiven, it's over. You forgot. Move on. Now, if the issue's unsettled, church discipline. 
should be in play. Now, read this last part with me as we close out together. Because you cannot control the thoughts, words, and actions of other people, God will not hold you responsible for the ultimate outcome of conflict. Guess what he holds you responsible for? Your thoughts, your words, your actions. At the end of the day, guys, as we close together, conflict is going to happen. It's going to happen. Use it as an opportunity to see your heart and make changes, not as an opportunity to fix someone else so you can get what you want. God is trying to change you. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we thank you that you have been patient with us. You have exposed us. You are guiding us to a way of relating to you that's acceptable and pleasing. Help us, Lord God, to see conflict as an opportunity to deal with our own hearts before you so that we can be the people you've called us to be and find the true satisfaction that comes through obedience to you as we seek to know you, become like you, be useful to you, and anticipate your return and handle people the way you've called us to. Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. God bless you. You are dismissed.